0: Climbing higher and higher. Foothills. Ridges. Mountains. Getting worse and worse. Aged. Ancient. Decrepit. Running alongside. Parallel rather than perpendicular. It's sequences for the Enhancement Series' last episode. Who would have reckoned on three and a half months to get through the various types of sentence craft? And we didn't cover them all. The last for Enhancements, today on The Right Focus. Welcome to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Roons, all from Writers Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therightfocus.com. Dot blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. We've finally reached sequences, the last realm of sentence craft. We've come a long way from the first episodes of figures of speech, similes, metaphors, personification, and more. From there, we ventured into several episodes for the interpretive realm, symbols, especially colors and numbers, which needed their own episodes then archetypes and allusions and allegory. From the two realms of concept or ideas, we ventured into the structural realms, schema, inversions with my favorite, chiasmus, repetition, including incremental repetition and alliteration, opposition, the realm of dichotomies and juxtaposition, which is the best word, isn't it? Antithesis, oxymoron, paradox, irony, and satire. Now, to sequences. Sequences. Sequencing of ideas creates transitions and progressions. The polysyndeton and asymptotone, in the repetitions realm, create sequencing with different items in a listed series. For most lists, the ordering of the items occurs without deliberated consideration. Vittorino de Feltra provided an example of non-deliberated sequencing. In his quotation, Not everybody is called to be a lawyer, a physician, a philosopher. These three professions are equated rather than ranked in a simple list. They're all equal weight. In the normal ordering or sequencing of listed items, as with defeltre, no ranking occurs. However, writers can choose to build to importance or remove importance through serial items. This is known as climactic ordering. Whether single words, phrases, sentences, or paragraphs, stanzas, the ranking is obvious. Climatic ordering comes from the word climax, which means ladder. The ordering can climb as an ascent or lose value as a descent. Thomas Jefferson provides a ranking called a progression. The climatic ordering moves through time, a natural climb of importance. Time and distance are both progressions. Here's his. If a nation expected to be both ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. Never was, the past and never will be, the future. That's our progression. Intensification is also a progression. Everyone is as God made him, and often a great deal worse. That's an intensification from Don Quixote by Cervantes. Here's another one from a Chinese proverb. The fire you kindle for your enemy burns yourself more than him. Then, after progressions and intensification, we have expansions. Thornton Wilder uses this device to conclude Act 1 of Our Town as he moves his play from the microcosm of the small town of Grover's Corners, New Hampshire to the macrocosm of the entire universe. The character Rebecca is reading a postal address on a letter received by her friend, Jane Crowfoot, The Crowfoot Farm, Grover's Corners, Sutton County, New Hampshire, United States of America, Continent of North America, Western Hemisphere, the Earth, the Solar System, the Universe, the Mind of God. These are all deliberated ordering, not simply a sequence of ideas. Keats, When I Have Fears, which has quatrains dedicated to the mind, intellectual pursuits, the soul, spiritual pursuits, and the body, love, or physical pursuits, that sonnet presents a climatic ordering which we could argue as a descent or an ascent, Depending on personal belief, if you think the mind is most important, then it descends from the mind to the soul to the body. But if you think the body, if you think love is more important than intellect or spiritual pursuits, then we ascend to that love. Is the mind most important or is physical love? A rationalist would say the first. A romantic like Keats, and he was a romantic, would say the last. Emotions were everything for the romantics. Lyman Beecher said, No great advance has ever been made in science, politics, or religion without controversy. On the surface, Beecher's statement raises no eyebrows. The casual reader nods at this simple list, then continues to the next point. The considering reader should pause whenever climatic ordering occurs. Lyman lists science first. Science, whether physical or technical, is expected to have advances. The controversy will be limited to the importance of one engineered device over another, or it may be the changes that a medical or other advance will make versus the cost of the procedure to the individual and the group. Second in his list was politics, which are much stickier controversies. Arguments divide families and neighbors, create hard, uncrossable lines in legislatures, and cause social devolution from dissenting rioters to civil war. These are historical examples of what we all wish to avoid. Third in his list was religion. History reminds us of wars caused by religious differences that remain unresolved hundreds of years later. The schism that separated protesting Protestants from Catholics is a line believers on both sides have difficulty crossing, and the greatest controversy occurs between the willful and the self-oriented soul struggling against God. So, that simple list of science, politics, and religion is not so simple. In seeing that, we should reconsider our view of Keats's sequencing in One Eye Have Fears, and then we must second-guess our list to determine if we have encountered a mere sequence or climatic ordering. Abelard of Bath gives us a different style of the climatic ordering. Although man is not armed by nature, nor as naturally swift as in flight, yet he has something better by far, reason. Fight, armed by nature, and flight are the responses of any animal to predation. These two are not right, merely presented in a simple dichotomy, fight versus flight. The ranking occurs with Abelard's addition of reason as a response to predatory behaviors by other creatures, whether that is bullying, verbal and emotional abuse, physical assault, attacks by groups, or war. Did you notice my ordering of predatory behaviors by people? Not only does my list intensify based on violence, but it also expands from the individual to society. Anticlimax, which means down a ladder in ancient Greek, is the build that drops with the third listed item. This is not a descent through the list. The first items build, the last descends abruptly in an ironic shift. Woody Allen, in his speech to graduates, he has seen the ravages of war. He has known natural catastrophes. He has been to singles bars. Here's a similar drop-off descent from Sue Townsend, Adrian Mole, The Prostrate Years, 2010. There are also many places I haven't visited. The Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon, the new John Lewis department store they're building in Leicester. Irony is the key element of anticlimax, often to evoke a humorous response while paradoxically presenting a truth of life. The two worst uncontrollable events in life are wars and natural disasters. But, for Woody Allen, when standing alone in a crowded room and seeing no one That seems much worse than an earthquake. For Sue Townsend, the Taj Mahal and the Grand Canyon are bucket list locations, but so are new shopping places to find exactly what she wants. Usually considered hyperbolic, the ozesis, A-U-X-E-S-I-S, creates a gradual increase in the intensity of meaning with words arranged in ascending order of force or of importance. Oesis is classified as a rhetorical device of amplification, and thus it belongs with exaggerations and hyperbole. However, its climatic ordering is its key element, not the extreme reach of the last item. It comes from ozine, A-U-X-E-I-N, which means growth or grow in ancient Greek. The term is often used with cell growth, expansion that is exponentially more with cellular division. Climatic ordering usually occurs in linked threes, although we've seen pairs in larger multiples. Aziz's is arranging words or clauses in a sequence of increasing force. In this sense, it is comparable to climax. Ralph Wado Emerson said, The world is all gates, all opportunities, strings of tension waiting to be struck. To reach for what you want is more than simply walking through an open gate. You have to pick up the instrument hear the music it is capable of, and learn to play it. Johnny Mitchell's Both Sides Now uses Aziz's to present Ascending Significant. The first set of stanzas discusses clouds, innocent childlike naivete. The next set of three discusses love, the focus of our teens and twenties. The last set discusses life, maturity, and considering our world. In Robinson Jeffers' translation of Euripides' Medea, he gives a succinct example of Osesis. Medea is contemplating the murder of her enemies. She wants to kill them. That's a definite. But how? What way will cause the greatest agony before death? For she doesn't want quick death. Oh no, not quick for her. She says, grind, crush, burn. Grind means to pulverize. But that's too quick. The agony is over too soon. Nothing remains as a warning to others. So then she says, crush. Now there's a lingering death. The victim desperate for air, slowly squeezed, hopeless to stop death's approach. That's still not enough pain for Medea. She says, burn. And she chooses fire. The fire associated with the gifts from the god Helios to her ancestor. An unquenchable fire. Enduring life, even as you burn. It will spread to anyone who attempts to smother or douse it, a fire that will burn wholly through, yet leave the victim alive for hours and hours in agony. Medea is a scary character. Other types of sequencing are grammatical structure to control the ordering. The zeugma, Z-E-U-G-M-A, which comes from the word Zugmina, which means a yoking, is more of a transitional shift than a ranking sequence. The yoking of the definition is the single verb that controls two following objects or two following nouns. That single verb is usually appropriate only to one of the two yoked words, or the two yoked words are different in some manner. There's two ways to approach it. First, in to wage war and peace, the verb wage controls the two direct objects, war and peace. To wage war is the usual connection. To wage peace seems inappropriate. How is it a truth? Waging war is an active choice. Waging peace, which seems a misnomer, would be to deliberately choose to bring about peace between others who are warring. That is what we want, is it not? Those who are warring, who have waged war, we want to wage peace to bring about a diplomatic solution. The second one is when the Zygma combines two objects, one concrete and one abstract, or one actual and the other conceptual. In this example, lost is the verb. I lost my car keys and my heart. The car keys are concrete, actual. The heart is an abstract for love. It's conceptual. The shift is not associated with the tangibility of the two items. Rather, it focuses on the distinction between them. This one's from Star Trek, The Next Generation. You are free to execute your laws and your citizens as you see fit. This one comes from The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickinson. All these things, combined with the noises and the interruptions of constant comings in and going out, made Mr. Pickwick play very badly. The cards were against him also, and when they left off playing at ten minutes past eleven, Miss Bolo rose from the table, considerably agitated, and went straight home in a flood of tears and a sedan chair. Her means of transportation was the sedan chair, but she was also crying because of Mr. Pickwick's play. From Mark Twain, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, For the space of a minute, the boys tugged and tore at each other's hair and clothes, punched and scratched each other's nose, and covered themselves with dust and glory. The concrete actual is dust, The abstract, conceptual idea is glory. Most zeugmas are the direct objects or predicate nominatives after a verb. The Dickens and Twain excerpts follow prepositions. The grammatical structure controlling the zeugma is a straight line to parallelism, which is the repetition of similar grammatical structures. In the nursery song, Over the River and Through the Woods, To Grandmother's House We Go, we have three three three-word prepositional phrases sequenced. Parallelism comes from para alelos, which means beside one another. Whatever grammatical structure is started, then that structure will follow through to the end of the sequence. Some words may be repeated. What you see is what you get. In composition courses, we discuss parallelism within sentences and sentence to sentence. Hiking, kayaking, and rappelling are favorite activities. These are three gerunds verbal nouns using the ing form to create the parallelism lincoln's of the people by the people and for the people is not only an epistrophe but it's also parallel winston churchill has his i have nothing to offer but blood toil tears and sweat alexander pope to err is human to forgive divine the sentences open with infinitives using the linking verb is and concluding with a subject complement. Here's The Tiger by William Blake. What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dreaded grasp, dare its deadly terror's clasp? The second stanza of William Ernest Henley's Invictus uses parallelism. The first and third lines are clearly parallel. The second and fourth lines hint at parallelism. In the fell clutch of circumstance is the first line. That's a prepositional phrase with an attached prepositional phrase, and it is six words. The third line has that wonderfully long bludgeonings, which makes it sound like there's more than one word going on. We still have a prepositional phrase with an attached prepositional phrase under the bludgeonings of chance. The second and fourth lines, as I said, are parallel. I have not winced nor cried aloud. My head is bloody, but unbowed. Henley's last stanza of that poem contains something more than parallelism. He writes, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. These two concluding lines are called an isocolon, a special parallel structure achieved with the same number of words and our syllables. You have a very close isocolon when it's both words and syllables. In the second stanza, with the circumstance chance lines, we don't have the same number of words, although perhaps the same number of syllables, depending upon how quickly you say bludgeonings. The master-captain lines are definitely isocolonic. They are actually an anaphoric isocolon. Anatole France gives us another isocolon. To accomplish great things, we must not only act, but also dream. Not only plan, but also believe. Francis isocolon uses the number of words alone. The most famous isocolon of all is Julius Caesar's Veni, vidi, vici." Even its translation, I came, I saw, I conquered. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address uses an isocolon. In a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. He has a subject and a two-part verb in negative form. We almost have the same number of syllables. While parallelism registers as a similar track of sequenced ideas, the isocon is designed for balance. Also depending on parallelism is elliptical construction. Throughout poetry and speeches, virtually any writing, we have multiple instances when the writer will drop out unnecessary words, inserting punctuation to replace the dropped words, which are understood because of the parallel structures. An ellipsis. Drops out repeated words. In this elliptical subordinate clause, the subject and helping verb are dropped. These are important elements, but can be understood based on the rest of the sentence. While I was running for the bus, I dropped my package. Becomes, while running for the bus, I dropped my packages. You don't need to say the first I was. William Congreve, heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. The second part of Congre's quotation, he drops the has. Notice that all other elements of the sentence are parallel. The elliptical construction often depends upon a semicolon or a colon. First, you use the semicolon to link the two sentences. Then you use the comma to represent the words that are dropped out. Reason deceives us often. Semicolon. Conscience. Comma. Never. Reason deceives us often. Conscience, never. The two parallel sentences are tightened closely with the semicolon rather than a conjunction, and the comma replaces the repetition of disease. Shakespeare used the elliptical construction in Romeo and Juliet, collapsing the sentences to reach his iambic pentameter. Passion lends them power. Time means to meet. In this ellipsis, the verb lends with the indirect object them is understood. Time lends them the means to meet. We also have a zygma in that power is an abstract, while time, since we can count it, is concrete. A second elliptical occurs with the to meet. Completely speaking, the line would read, Passion lends them the power to meet, and time lends them the means to meet. The literary ellipsis omits words and ideas dropping from conversations to mimic people's conversational styles, sliding ideas together, omitting while suggesting. James Joyce uses the literary ellipsis in Dubliners. He has a conversation between Eliza and the aunt of the narrator. My aunt waited until Eliza sighed and said, Oh well, he's gone to a better world. Eliza sighed again and bowed her head in assent. My aunt fingered the stem of her wine glass before sipping a little. Did he peacefully? She asked. Oh, quite peacefully, ma'am, said Eliza. You couldn't tell when the breath went out of him. He had a beautiful death. God be praised. And everything? Father O'Rourke was in with him a Tuesday and anointed him and prepared him and all. The narrator's aunt never mentions the word death. That may convey a personal avoidance or an attempt to be kind. Although Eliza seems not overly upset at the man's death. And that's it. That's all we're going to discuss on sequencing and on enhancements. Next week, we venture into a new series, which I'm calling A Mixed Miscellany. A little fiction, a little poetry, a little non-fiction, and much more. We may even add interviews. Inspiration this week comes from Annie Dillard. When you write, you lay out a line of words. The line of words is a minor's pick a woodcarver's gouge, a surgeon's probe. You wield it, and it digs a path you follow. Soon you find yourself deep in new territory. Is it a dead end, or have you located the real subject? You will know tomorrow, or this time next year. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at Aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends, or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.